greetings, greetings, greetings on this Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, Wellness Wednesday, (laughs) the perfect day to read a book, read from a book titled The Healing Wisdom of Africa, Finding Life Purpose Through Nature, Ritual, and Community, written by Mali Doma Somme. I'm just now noticing on the front cover, it, it gives a quote by Alice Walker saying, profoundly wise and fascinating. And I have to agree with her on that. I don't agree with her on everything, <laughs> but I agree with her on that. This book has touched me in ways that I didn't even know I need to be touched. And I'm appreciative of that. And there are certain things that touch me so deeply that I feel compelled to read them for my podcast audience because we need some indigenous African healing wisdom here in the West for sure. So today I'm at the tail end of the book, part five, healing in the Western world and chapter 15, initiation, a response to challenges of the West. And it's a long section, but I'm definitely not going to read the whole thing. There are just certain aspects of it that we need to hear. We need to... mm, I'm going to stop using the word need. I'm going to just read it. And for whomever it touches and is helpful, then that's what it is. And I give thanks for that. Ashe. Chapter 15, Initiation, A Response to Challenges of the West. Initiatory events are those that mark a man or a woman's life forever, that pull a person deeper into life than they would normally choose to go. Initiatory events are those that define who a person is or cause some power to erupt from them, or strip everything from them until all that is left is their essential self. Michael Mead from the book Men and the Water of Life. We have explored together aspects of healing discovered through finding one's place in a community, remembering one's true purpose, and engaging in rituals of fire, water, earth, mineral, and nature. In Zagara culture, the experience that puts all these ingredients together is initiation. Rites of initiation are aimed at including the young person in the community and recognizing his or her genius and moving the youth toward maturity and adult responsibility. Through initiation, a young person gains access to dynamic and purposeful living. While initiation as it takes place in African indigenous culture would not be appropriate in the West, since we are by definition located in a different place and culture, some aspects of initiation would, I believe, speak to particular challenges that Western societies are facing at this time. Initiation focuses on and is a response to some basic 
existential questions faced by human beings since the dawn of time. Everyone wonders, who am I? Where do I come from? What am I here for? And where am I going? We have already noted that indigenous people see humans as born with a purpose, a mission they must carry out because it is the reason for their coming to this world. In order to deliver the gift of their mission or purpose, certain conditions must be present, such as the communities recognizing the gift that is being delivered to them. A spiritual crisis can start as early as birth, when instead of being welcomed by people, a child meets the silence of technology and cold convention. In this case, a thwarted life purpose surges up during adolescence in the form of impetuousness and insubordination. This behavior is directly linked to the need to enter into a ritual space strong enough to restore the body and the soul's alignment with the purpose of life. It is not coincidental that this time of life brings great physiological changes to a person. These changes are the qualifying signs for rituals of community attention, specifically initiation. If, as in the case of birth, there is no community to respond to the call for a rite of passage, then the youth must feel compelled to respond personally to the fire burning in their belly. This unguided response to a need for an initiatory ritual can have a lethal consequence to the person while testifying to the failure of community. The youth's attraction to and fascination with danger signals the rise in their energetic self of powerful elements that will burn until something is done that will allow a settling catharsis to occur. When this intensity is not responded to with ritual attention, it becomes an incinerating fire directed at the entire society. To the youth, therefore, the production of death and destruction are notices to the village that it must wake up and attend to them or face the consequences of their inattention. Even if the child survives to adulthood and continues to live looking like a fully integrated man or woman, there is still this underlying fire within that continues to burn, defying any chance for contentment and integration. Like a dormant volcano that erupts periodically, such people experience moments of crisis over and over again prompting them to break through the guardrail of propriety and into some domain of madness, frightening to the people familiar with them. Initiation consists of rituals and ordeals that help young people remember their own purpose and have their unique genius recognized by the community. From birth to puberty, the tribal person is the responsibility of the village hence the saying that it takes a whole village to raise a child. This collective attention and care prepares the child for the delivery of his or her gift, potential, or skills. Rebirth, or rites of passage, then 
mark his or her passage into maturity. Maturity here must be understood as the awakening into one's gift and the investment of self for a good that is greater than self. The mature person, therefore, is, tribally speaking, the initiated responsible person fully aware of the reason that brought him or her into this place, committed to carrying out his or her mission with the unconditional support of the village. Initiation thus ritually echoes and completes the passage into life that began at birth. Initiation in the West. Many people in the West dream of a formal indigenous initiation. They have a sense that if they could have this experience, it would put an end to their spiritual yearning by changing their life in dramatic ways. Since my last book of Water and the Spirit was published, which deals in large part with initiation, I have been overwhelmed by people requesting that I initiate them either here in the West or in my village in Africa. It is as if initiation is a shining pearl that they are driven to acquire. I suspect that their undelivered gift is aching in them and driving them toward this formal ritual. A Western person who requests initiation from me, however, has misunderstood the connection between initiation and community. Every ordeal of initiation brings the initiate into closer relationship with the community within which the initiate's life purpose will be lived out. I cannot, as an initiated person, perform initiations for others. Initiation does not qualify me for that task, as if it were an academic degree earned in order to train others to attain the same level. Yet constantly, I receive requests from people who dream about the day when I will take them to the back country of America and swing open a gateway with a twist of my hand for them to dive into. They envision beholding the other world, crowded with the little people known as condomblis, and as a result, finding their life problems fixed for good. But troubles do not befall individuals because of their failure to avoid them. Rather, they are milestones of one's journey toward maturity and responsibility. The serious troubles we face in life are nothing other than initiatory experiences. Their aim is to help people better understand what life is and who we are. They are a necessary ingredient in the removal of whatever stands between us and our essential self. If tribal people reach this stage through formal rites of passage, other people may do the same differently. It is as if there is a natural pull toward challenges and ordeal in the interest of gaining inner strength and living a responsible life. Hardship and ordeal, therefore, initiate a change from within. One emerges from them with a profound sense of having undergone a radical education. Those who understand this may even come to welcome adversity. 
So I think I'm going to read the section, yeah, adversity as initiation. Adversity here in the West is such a real thing. Let's get into it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adversity, A-D-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y. Adversity. Difficulties, misfortune, trouble, difficulty, hardship, distress, disaster, misadventure, suffering, affliction, sorrow, misery, heartbreak, heartache, wretchedness, tribulation, woe, pain, trauma. Adversity. So, adversity as initiation interesting topic, huh? For example, after graduating from college at the age of 22, Robert gets a job, marries, buys a house, and has children. Several years down the road, his trouble begins. His company lays him off. The mortgage is pending and his wife is not working because she stays home with the children. Tensions mount while the savings drop. Robert cannot get a job easily because there is a recession and his oldest child gets caught taking drugs at school. Finally, the situation degenerates with loud arguments among the family. The house comes up for foreclosure. To make things even worse, Robert is informed that he is being sued by his former secretary for rape. She was afraid to come forward while she was still working for him because she feared losing her livelihood, but now that he has left the company, she feels that she must speak out. Of course, when the news hits at home, the wife's unhappiness is unlimited. She packs up and leaves taking the kids and the house is taken by the bank. Robert is convicted of the rape and is sentenced to prison. While in prison, he is forced for the first time in his life, really, to face himself. So far, everything he experiences checks out as initiatory. What is left after he is stripped of everything is himself. This is the only thing he can transform, the germ of his unique genius. Meanwhile, the economy improves. A good friend is able to help Robert when he is paroled by offering him a good job with his own company. When Robert comes out of prison, his personality is profoundly changed. His vision of life is radically different than it was before. 
He is determined to be a better father to his children, and he has lost his desire to use women for quick pleasures. In his new job, he applies what he has learned from his ordeal. He does so well that he is eventually promoted to vice president of the company. He begins to work in the area of company employee relations, something he is now an expert at because he has learned from his own struggles. He has also become very alert to human suffering and does not hesitate to tell others who come to him seeking counsel what he himself has experienced. Robert's experience is an example in every way of true initiation. It just doesn't have the formality of an indigenous initiation. Such an initiation does not mean that the person is released from suffering forever, but rather that the person is now better equipped to recognize and confront future adversity. Anyone who wants to grow must be prepared to face such problems. It is as if there's something tumultuous about every life path. Turmoil is an integral part of it. Life problems become worse when we expect our growth to be free of thorns and cobbles. Every bump in a person's life is an opportunity to grow and change. Thus, it is not enough simply to regard problems as unfortunate events. One must deliberately attempt to see the potential for growth inside trouble. Being sick, losing a loved one or a job, witnessing a violent death, being overwhelmed by bad news, failing and feeling like a failure. All are opportunities that call us forth propelling us into the higher grounds of our lives. It is unlikely that any person in the West or anywhere in the world, for that matter, has lived 30 years or more without going through some kind of trouble. The social fabric cultivates trouble for us daily. It is as if every day we go out hunting for it or we are hunted by it. When troubles are resolved, they are not finished. In the path of life, New difficulties or challenges, new adversities and bad news lie just ahead. A healthy attitude leads one not to avoid trouble, but to move with it. One could conclude that every time a person hurts, something is changing and an initiation is in progress. Initiation is intimately connected to ordeal. From the point of view of the indigenous, an ordeal stretches the physical self far enough to release something else that brings more awareness, more sense of responsibility, more wisdom. Discipline arises from and is aimed toward acknowledging this, the knowledge that one is going somewhere purposeful in life. The people I encounter most in my life are usually tired of saying that their lives are fine when in fact they are not. They recognize that something initiatory has been going on in their lives that they can no longer deny. For the most part, they just want to acknowledge that the end of a marriage is devastating to them, that the loss of their job felt like a stab in their hearts, that the accident they had on the road affected them, 
that the fact that they had to file for bankruptcy hurt them deeply. They also want to be recognized as survivors, or they want to join a community of survivors. The wounds left on the psyche by troubles such as the ones mentioned here are signs of initiatory experiences. A wound is an expression of a deep life change in progress. Its completion leaves a scar that reminds the bearer of where he or she has been. A scar seals an event which prompts a change, allowing for a move to another stage. Indigenously defined, a scar is a shrine to the physical or spiritual ordeal undergone by a person. Scars on the body or in the psyche point to some deep changes that occurred as a result of an ordeal. Bringing closure to initiatory experiences. Because initiatory experiences are a part of every life, the immediate issues for Westerner, for Westerners is perhaps not initiation itself, but how one may bring closure to initiatory pain and suffering. People who want to be recognized as survivors are attempting to seal off an initiatory experience so that they can get on with something else because when suffering is met with recognition, it passes. It is the absence of radical and genuine recognition and acknowledgement that makes suffering grow larger. Initiation and the suffering that accompanies it end when an individual's experiences are acknowledged by others. Radical recognition takes place when a community witnesses and supports the hardship being endured by a person or the wound he or she suffered. Among indigenous people, the whole village and sometimes even a series of villages gathers to welcome the initiates back at the end of their ordeals. It is believed that the greater the number of people witnessing and acknowledging the return of the initiates, the better for them. Since an ordeal that has not been witnessed and acknowledged is likely to repeat itself, there is an endless series of unresolved initiations in the modern world due to isolationism and the personalization, personalization of trouble. In addition, there is a tendency for many to ostracize people who seek to have their suffering acknowledged. The psyche of a person who seeks recognition as a way to end initiation interprets this ostracism as a sign that the world hasn't noticed, so it sends the message to repeat the experience in hopes that next time someone will take notice. In the psyche of a person who feels victimized, society owes him or her. Such a person runs a serious risk of acting victimized, looking weak or helpless in a deliberate attempt to attract attention. Thus, people who crave acknowledgement are people who have suffered something deeply within themselves and who know that without such an acknowledgement, their suffering is meaningless. In general, People can come to terms with their suffering only if there is a profound translation of their suffering into larger meaning. That is, if suffering serves a greater recognizable good. Community is key to closing initiation. 
Without community, people's initiatory experiences are suspended in midair, where they remain ungrounded. The most powerful demonstration of this in the West is perhaps the Vietnam War. This was a collective endeavor in which thousands of individuals were thrown into major initiatory experiences. Is it then surprising that a great number of the homeless are Vietnam veterans? They can't come back because there is no community to welcome them. Their homelessness is brought about by the community's refusal to perceive their experience as initiatory. The absence of a community to recognize and end suffering is also visible in Westerners' prolonged grief over their parents' inadequacies. On numerous occasions, I have seen men and women in their 30s and 40s still grieving that their mothers or fathers weren't there for them the way they should have been, that they had abandoned them. This crisis in midlife is the result of the person's sense of anonymity. An anonymity. <laughs> That's not an easy word to say. Um, being anonymous or feeling like you're anonymous and lack of belonging. Indeed, it is important for these people to recognize that their parents were not experts at rearing children, but to hang on to this for many years is symptomatic of a spiritual paralysis. It reveals the isolation of individuals and families from a wider sense of community. When children are raised by a whole village, they do not grow up expecting their biological parents to provide for all their emotional needs. Lack of a community to bring initiatory ordeals to closure also results in a society of consumers. Here we go. The West for sure is a society of consumers who wander the aisles of a supermarket or browse through a department store in search of fulfillment. When I first came to the West, I would sometimes go to stores just to watch shoppers' behaviors. I always emerged bewildered at how perfectly consumerism seemed to console the psyche of so many people. The memory of so many overweight people pushing their overloaded carts up and down their overfull aisles of merchandise, searching for more stuff to load on before proceeding to the checkout counter it continues to amaze me. Every potential purchase is examined in hand with great care as if it might contain the secret answer. The placement of the item into the shopping cart indicates the buyer's verdict that yes, the answer may be here. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm laughing, but it's definitely not funny. It, and it's definitely true. Y'all know it's true. Their commitment to addressing the problem that victimizes them by buying more things serves the economy. Meanwhile, I can't help but feel that this person needs love, something they won't find on any of the shelves of the supermarket. Thus, in the West, initiatory experiences rarely come to proper closure. People search for the right thing at the wrong place and blame it on someone else when they find nothing. Attributing blame to someone else can never bring closure to a problem. On the contrary, it keeps it alive. 
Mm. Near enough to affect us deeply, but just too far out of reach for us to solve. Nor can material goods ever fulfill the longing in people's hearts to be recognized for who they truly are and to have both their sufferings and their gifts acknowledged by a community in the face of pains that won't go away or troubles that keep recurring a common temptation is to embrace them to become their victim it is dangerous to accept pain in this way it is even more dangerous to love suffering and pretend you don't time and again I have seen situations in which people looking for help through ritual try to get rid of their pain. After the initial shock of identifying the deep source of suffering, it turned out that the pain was a person's means of achieving a desirable status, a comfortable place of visibility, bringing them to the center of everybody else's attention. Most rituals that I do with people in this culture have a direct connection with challenges, pain, and conflict. At the core of these rituals is the commitment to heal a problem that no other medicine can heal. I have had the chance to witness great success in some individuals, but also the frightening realization that certain challenges or pain can survive the onslaught of ritual, either by the participants pretending that they are gone or by their becoming obsessed with the attention they naturally receive in the context of a ritual. I have concluded from this that the problem is not so much the nature of initiation, but the absence of a supportive community functioning as a container recognizing and acknowledging the person's initiatory experience, thereby giving closure to it. And even passing recognition is not enough to terminate an initiation. The person's patterns of life that support the experience of suffering must also be drastically altered. This may include the space in which a person lives, the kind of people he associates with, the type of food he eats, and many other factors that are particular to each individual and situation. If we begin by accepting the possibility that problems occur because we make them occur, that hardships such as broken relationships, loss of job, financial troubles, and even sickness come because we need them for our own good, then many healing opportunities become available. The question of why I would have invited such a hardship is a good place to start, a good place to begin the journey through initiation. The issue is not how to get out of the hardship as quickly as possible, but how to read the message of change embedded within the hardship. Trouble means that the psyche must move on. The most common lesson in initiation has to do with control, with holding on to the way things are and resisting change. Whether we understand what the trouble is telling us or not, it is imperative to bring the trouble into ritual. What follows in ritual should inspire the mind to change 
its approach to crisis. So I'm going to read this section that gets into the three stages of initiation. That's pretty short. And then get into the section that speaks to initiation and Western youth. Because no matter what age we are now, we've all been youth at one point or another. And we can relate to that. The three stages of initiation. It isn't too hard for an indigenous eye to notice that initiations are taking place at all times and in every town and city in the West. At every moment, many people are going through some form of initiatory experience. This means that many people are going through suffering they would rather avoid. For purposes of dealing with initiatory experiences, whether in the context of formal rituals or as they are encountered in our daily life, it can be useful to understand them as a three-stage process. In the early stage, the trouble or ordeal has just started. For example, Mary has worked for a company for many years. She never thought of nor ever concerned herself with the possibility of being laid off until she received a pink slip. Suddenly, Her uneventful life becomes loaded with stormy potentials. The journey into the unknown has just begun. Similarly, Philip, a healthy, strong man, never thought very much about illness beyond minor flu and colds until he was told that he was HIV positive. In another case, a friend of mine came crashing onto the sofa of my office, announcing between sobs that his wife just left him. These are the visible manifestations of powerful initiatory beginnings. They come as a shock. These kinds of events one would rather not be involved with. The middle stage is a period of extreme disruption. It is a place of deep chaos where everything seems to be plotting against oneself. It is as if at every corner hides some new trick to complicate further what is already almost unbearably bad. People caught in it are on the high seas of their initiatory journey. They can't see the shore in either direction. They feel alone, lost, resentful that bad fortune has chosen them. For example, when a romantic relationship grows sour, everything one tries in the interest of resolving the crisis feels like fuel poured onto fire, yet it is clear that action must be taken to rescue the situation. With the end stage comes at last a view of the shore. More often than not, the shore is as hard to reach as the middle stage is to endure. Sometimes one reaches the shore and finds it impossible to locate a safe harbor. The end is achieved through countless attempts to dock. For example, in the relationship that ends with separation but where one partner cannot let go of the other. Haunted by the specter of the lost love, It feels as if nothing in the world will make a proper closure possible. The ongoing patterns that result are unresolved initiations. Wherever one fits in these three stages of initiatory journeys, the key is to escape isolation. That is, it is important not to approach the process as a private, secret one, but to seek out others 
who may be on the same road in order to travel the path with them. Again, we're talking here about community. Pain is frightened when too many people are involved. When too many people are talking about it and examining it. Pain likes to be kept in silence. Nurtured in the dark room of the psyche. That's when it sets out its roots and begins to grow healthy and vigorous. If suffering is our guest and it flourishes and grows, this is because we are an excellent host. To be a good host means to provide VIP treatment, giving our suffering excessive and unnecessary attention, which can degenerate into a certain love of suffering. This is what happens when people make themselves into the story of their suffering. So pain decides to move into the psyche and if it is well treated, it invites every friend and relative to come and join. So yeah, that's deep. Pain likes silence. So it's good to journal your pain, talk about it with somebody, to think about solutions to get rid of the painful situation. But I, this is, I'm going to stop it here, there, because I'm not a, I'm just reading the book. Just reading the book. But you hear me, right? Initiation and Western Youth. It is clear that young people become painfully aware of the lack of community support as they grow up. Their disdain and mistrust of adults is an expression of their disappointment that society doesn't allow them to embrace life the way they see it. They see the sacred dimension of life. They smell the presence of the other world. It is fearsome, yet attractive. They require community support in order to embrace the initiatory ordeals that will lead them to the beauty they naturally seek and to the gift they have. Street gangs have evolved as a direct response to the feeling of ostracism by the community. They are an expression of what society does not want to look at. They provide an alternate initiatory circle to their members, no matter how dangerous and displaced they may be. We have in the West a situation that is extremely destructive to youth. This situation looks as though it could benefit from a little indigenous wisdom, such as initiation and the need for community to raise a child. The perplexity of society in the face of gangs and violence or the prison approach to it suggests that deep down, modern people are still at a loss as to how to cure this basic human crisis. What would a formal initiation for youth in the modern world look like? This is a question I have been asked many times and to which I have no definite answer. What follows is what I might try if I were to lead young people into an initiatory experience. The first step would be to separate the geography of community and the geography of initiation. In this case, nature seems to be the most desirable space for initiation since the experience is much more connected to nature than to the urban world. The youth 
must be taken into a natural space and allowed to spend sufficient time there to gain an awareness of its inhabitants, its trees, animals, stones, and spirits. The general content of this process, which must be given sufficient time, would include periods of isolation with the elements of nature and periods of coming together with other youth for community, for communal handling of an ordeal. The magic would arise from the youth's discovery of his own worth and a sense of purpose in his life. A more detailed form of this initiation might begin with some form of induction, which in my village might be the ritual removal of hair and the decoration of the head with paint obtained from the bark of a tree. People involved with leading such an initi- <laughs> people involved with leading such an initiation must conceive of a way to change the physical appearance appearance of the initiates so that the psyche can adjust to what is supposed to happen thereafter. We believe that painting patterns on the body, for example, alters the body's energy and it is easily achievable, as is shaving the head. The next thing is to arrange a number of ordeals for the initiate to pass through. These ordeals must be sensitive to the geography and the already existing customs. Tribal initiation offers five different types of ordeal that are adjusted to fit the needs of particular circumstances. The ordeals can follow the pattern of five elements outlined already. One is the fire ordeal. Its significance involves connecting with the ancestors, with one's deep past. The question here is, how can fire be used in a radical ritual context to incinerate an unwanted self, thereby liberating the new self. Certainly the heat of fire must be experienced and its intensity must match the intensity of youth. If this ritual involves a large fire in which initiates burn something of themselves, the experience of heat sustained in the interest of cleansing will achieve the purpose wanted. Next is the water ordeal. Water is seen as the peacemaker and the reconciler. The challenge here is how to experience water in ways shocking enough to constitute a memorable ordeal. This might include submerging or pouring over or even diving into water in search of something hidden. The exact choreography of this stage is solely the responsibility of the initiators who would be familiar with the purposes and participants of the ritual. The earth ordeal responds to the youth's need to be in touch with themselves and with the ground. Here is the issue. Here the issue is how initiates can be reintroduced to the power of the earth to give and to renew life. How can the earth be re-understood as an earth womb large enough to swallow and initiate long enough for a shift to occur in the person. A few hours burial in the earth can work. The feeling of being in the earth is radically transforming. The mineral ordeal usually takes the form of a journey to find one's stone amidst a vast field of stones. One purpose of this is that the stone becomes the token of one's initiation, 
constantly reminding the initiate of what has happened in their life. The nature ordeal must involve a journey into nature or an experience with nature that results in deep transformation. It could be as simple as spending the whole day with a single tree, meditating with it, looking at it, talking to it. Young people can sometimes hear the sound of plants. We must trust them to listen and to collect information about them from the trees themselves. This exercise can take place either during the day or at night. Each one of these ordeals must be given ample time to evolve. A 24-hour period that begins with a detailed presentation and preparation, followed by the five ordeals, and concluding with some kind of recovery stage should be quite successful. This gives time for the initiates to process what they have experienced. Meanwhile, the initiators can fine-tune their strategies through close observation of how initiates respond to the entire process. Meanwhile, at home, there must be some kind of preparation for the return of the initiates. The reception of initiation participants must be as warm and sincere as possible, making the youth realize how important it is to be part of the community. Warm welcomes have positive effects on the human psyche. They increase your sense of belonging and help you feel better. It is important for someone who has undergone an ordeal to know that after all, they are not alone. Above all, it is transforming to be made to feel like a hero. You made it. This feeling has the effect of sealing the individual's commitment to whatever serves the greatest common good. When planning rituals of initiation for young people, it is important to keep in mind that it takes someone other than parents to initiate children. In no indigenous community are parents directly involved with initiation of their children. This is because it is not the role of a parent to do such a thing. In initiation, as in other areas of child raising, adults other than parents are needed so that children can receive all the facets of love and support and guidance that they require. Children will learn best how to see their problems as initiatory with the help of mentors and elders. If the parents have held the space for the children to grow and have introduced other adults into their children's lives, these mentors and elders will not be missing when needed. So it comes down to community again. Community matters in in the West, individualism, and I can do it. Oh, I could do it by myself. I got this. I could do this. And that's not working. <laughs> I'm going to end this episode with a few words on community from an indigenous African perspective as shared in this book. What people most want is to satisfy their hunger for community, to dwell in radical ritual for their healing, to bring to a happy conclusion their strong desire for belonging, and to understand and work with spirit. The hunger for community is the most difficult subject to address because it arises within a society 
that is established against a village type of community. And because participation in a community is a precondition for true ritual healing, for a sense of belonging that satisfies, and for a rewarding understanding of spirit. People are looking for a place where their individuality will be honored, where their personal gifts can be freely made available to serve the greater good. From this strong desire to belong, people form groups, only to find that belonging involves maintaining some sort of uniformity. And so to satisfy their strong craving to be included, people sacrifice their individuality, becoming casualties of their own desire for belonging. This is seen in its extreme form in the mass popular culture of the West, which dilutes the individual tremendously until his or her identity is done away with, replaced by a clone-like uniformity. Community will always fail and fail those it is supposed to serve when belonging takes place through maintaining uniformity. There are lessons in the ways that indigenous communities unite and sustain themselves that are relevant and adaptable in the West. In indigenous cultures, people relate to one another in terms of what each brings to the village, not in terms of how each one appears. Every Westerner who visits my village leaves with one thing, and that is the experience of the intensity of human connection and attention. It's not the magic, the ritual, or the ceremonies that are done. It's not the lurking presence of envy, greed, and anger. For in these respects, the tribal person is not too unlike the Western person. Ritual is the cement that bonds the individual to the greater community in the Dagara culture. Ritual takes us to an unfamiliar place. For ritual to succeed, each individual is asked to give up their desire to control or to be in control. The group agrees that in order to heal the problem and conflicts that plague its members, everybody has to turn to spirit. The space of spirit is not familiar to everyone. This unfamiliarity can appear frightening, but when a part of you becomes willing to proceed with a ritual, you find that the reward is worth the momentary loss of control. You enter a space where you are allowed to feel, allowed to move, allowed to cry, allowed to feel true compassion for the people you are with. The value that you have in ritual space comes from your personal gifts and from the knowledge that you must depend on the personal gifts of others for your own needs to be met. This profound sense of recognition creates a powerful and lasting bond among people because they feel seen and heard. Ritual is what brings community together and what truly heals the individual. Doing a ritual once is not sufficient to awaken gifts that have lain dormant in a person for a lifetime, for it is only by inserting the self in the repeated practice of ritual 
that one gives these gifts the room to emerge. Ritual in the context of awakening the dormant and unexpressed parts of a person is aimed directly at the individual's psyche. It is a language of invocation, inviting the inner self to come out. For the inner self to show itself in the individual, it must be invoked over and over and over until it does. A first step is to call on the elements of nature. The group gathers together to find out what the elements of nature can offer that will contribute to a further awakening. A natural place to begin is with the element earth, since for the Dagara people, it is earth that provides us with some sense of, with a sense of nourishment, empowerment, and recognition. The feeling of loving affinity that we yearn for grows out of the experience of giving and receiving undivided attention within a group. This loving recognition provides true comfort. The ritual might begin with a prayer to the Earth Mother, saying, Hey Mother, listen to us. We have been missing the sense that we are valued and paid attention to. We have not always felt we were being fed with what we needed. We have been missing the sense of touch that you can give us. Maybe this is because we have not been listening to you and following your example. So here and now, we are going to try to replicate for each other what you do for us. We will allow our feet to touch you when we walk. We will draw with great gratitude from the food that comes from your bosom to feed ourselves. And each of us recognizes that we do not always pass on to each other the abundance that you so freely give us. We are going to try here to reproduce you as best we can in our gathering today. Ashe.